0: Well, hey, Rob Ridge, my name is Sam. I'm the campus pastor here at Rob Ridge in Chatsworth, and we're excited that you're here. At Rob Ridge, we are one church in five locations, and we like to say, hey, we are one. And we also like to say we're on mission to love God, love others, and live sin. And we just want to give some mission team reports about wh- what has happened in the last week or so. We just had a team that got back this past week from Florida. It was a family mission trip. And they, we are partnered with uh, Lighthouse Family Ministries. And this Lighthouse Family Ministries, what they do, they minister to families who have children that are terminally ill. And we just get to minister to those families, let them relax, let them rest, just let them have fun together while we invest in them. And right now, we have a team that's on the ground in Ukraine. As a matter of fact, yesterday they just finished up their English conference. It was called Rob Ridge English Conference, and where we focused on giving, kind of meeting a need, teaching English and teaching other skills to, to college students and high school students, speaking in English, but also we use that as an opportunity to build relationships and associations so we could plug them into a local church. Right now, today, our mission team in Ukraine, they're at an orphanage today and tomorrow. So there's there's an action point right there that you can pray for our Ukraine mission team as they minister today and tomorrow at an orphanage and travel back on Wednesday. So mission teams build relationships. They build associations with people in the team as well as with people they're ministering to. And that takes us kind of a segue into our, into our sermon series. We're at part seven called The Struggle. It's real. And today, we're going to focus on the struggle with guilt by association. Now, that may sound just a little bit strange, but just hang in here with us. You know, I, taught, uh, I taught high school and I taught middle school for five years. and Excuse me, 10 years. Seemed like 20. Sorry. But I, I taught for 10 years and coached, and there was not a week that went by that I didn't look at one of my athletes, or I didn't look at a kid that was in my class, and I said, hey, you know what? You are who you hang out with. And it was fun when you, when you got to see kids' light bulbs go on in their head when they got exactly what you were saying. Hey, I am who I hang out with. The Apostle Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians. He said, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, with those two lines right there and with that verse, you may be going, "Uh uh-oh, where's he going with that? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hang in here with us, okay? Because when we get to the end, you may realize that some of our associations that we have, God can use those for his glory. God can use the associations that we have To help people take next steps and maybe you take next steps toward Jesus so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 17 and we're going to go through the first 10 verses of Acts you can open up your Bible you can open up your app to Acts chapter 17 now we're kind of landing we're kind of starting right in the middle of the book of Acts so when you do that you have to talk about a background so let me just kind of get you caught up on the background when we're in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in the middle. The Apostle Paul is in the middle of his second missionary journey. All right? Now, we got to talk about his first missionary journey before we can get to his second missionary journey. Paul's first missionary journey, he was invited by his mentor, a guy who discipled him, named Barnabas. And in their first missionary journey, they went around the region of, of Asia Minor And they proclaimed that Jesus was Lord. And they basically evangelized to the Jews and the Gentiles. And they saw a lot of people respond to the gospel. As a matter of fact, they were surprised that they saw non-Jewish people, they saw Gentiles respond to the gospel of Jesus. Now, let me stop right there. What's the gospel? The gospel is this, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, He lived a perfect life here on earth, never sinned. He died a criminal's death and was risen from the dead and ascended back to the Father. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to get to the Father. So that's the message that Paul and Barnabas taught and preached on his first missionary journey. They had Gentiles respond to this message. But here was a challenge. The early Christians were Jewish. And many of the Jewish Christians wanted to impose their Jewish religion and cultural laws on these Gentiles. And Paul said, hey, you know, that's a a challenge. (laughs) Because these folks didn't grow up that way. They have just responded to Jesus, and we're trying to put restrictions on them. So here's what happened. In Acts chapter 15, there was a council in Jerusalem. All right? This council consisted of the apostles and the leadership in the church. And they got together and said, hey, what are we going to do about these Gentile, these non-Jewish Christ followers? Or there was a faction that wanted to make them convert to Judaism. There was another faction that said, let's just don't do anything. Well, What happened was, is is they were led by the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, let me just read that to you. Here's a decision that was made. The decision that was made by this council was given to Paul. And his job was to deliver this letter to the churches that he'd already evangelized. So, here was the letter written to the Gentile believers. He says... For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things. That you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourself from these things. So basically, in the letter, it was simply this. It had some eating restrictions, and it said, obtain from sexual immorality. So Paul's task, Paul's commission by this council at the Jerusalem church was to take this letter to all the churches and, and followers that had responded to the gospel on his first missionary journey. So as we start in Acts chapter 17, this is Paul's second missionary journey. But here's the thing. Not only did Paul deliver these letters to Christians and home churches that, that had responded earlier, he would go to other cities that hadn't heard the gospel. And in Acts chapter 17, one of the cities was Thessalonica. So let's read this together. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. And then they traveled through <laughs> Ampopolis and, and and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is Messiah. Then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of leading women. Verse 5. But the Jews, the Jews became jealous. So in those first five verses or so, we can see that Paul has a group of people around him. We can see that he has associations. So remember, the focus of today is the struggle with guilt by association so let's look let's take a quick look at the associations that the Apostle Paul had we can first off with this the first one is Barnabas now let me make this very clear Barnabas is not not on this missionary team okay Barnabas is not physically there so Sam why did you put him there as an association or an associate with Paul you see Barnabas was Paul's mentor when Barnabas was in Antioch in Acts chapter 9, man, he saw a revival happening at the, with the Gentiles and people responding. And Barnabas left there and went and got a guy named Saul who was a former Pharisee. He was a former killer and persecutor of Christians who had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. And Barnabas and Saul were ministering at the church at Antioch. You see... When Barnabas and Saul started, it was Barnabas leading Saul. At the end of their first first missionary journey, it was Paul leading the team, and it was Paul and Barnabas. So you see, Barnabas was his mentor, his teacher, his disciple maker. So I kind of get the feeling wherever Paul was in ministry, Barnabas was there too. Let me explain that to you. As I was riding in this morning, I kind of reflected back. So when I'm up here teaching and speaking and leading, Charles is up here also. James is up here. Stan's up here. Why am I mentioning those three men? Because they were mentors. They were teachers in my life. And I can reflect back on what they poured into me. And I'm grateful for that. So whether Barnabas was there physically, he wasn't. He was in association with Paul. So let's keep looking. Who else is in association with Paul? We have to go back to verse 1. It says, then they traveled through. Who was they? It says, then they traveled through. They is this. We know that Silas is there. Okay? Because we see that in verse 4. And we see later on In verse 14, that that Paul mentions Timothy. So Timothy is probably on that team too of the second missionary journey. One person that's not mentioned on this team that's probably there, he's the author of Acts. We know him as Luke. Luke wrote the the Gospel of Luke. That's the history of Jesus and, 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 and how Jesus came about. And also the second volume of Luke's work was Acts. That's the history of the early church. What we know about Luke, he was a doctor, he was an author, and he was a historian. He was concerned with the details. So we can assume that Luke's probably part of this team. So on this second missionary team, we got Paul, we got Silas, probably Timothy, probably Luke. There may have been other people on this team. So those were some associates of Paul. We go to verse 2. It says, as usual, as usual, that means that was his method of operation. Paul went to the synagogue. So religious people were Paul's associates. He associated with religious people. Paul, Paul said this. He said, I was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. He could speak the language of religious folks. He was Jewish, so he was associated. And it says, as usual, as soon as he went into town, he would make the trip to the synagogue. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, Then some of them were persuaded. Remember, Paul was preaching and teaching the gospel. Some of them, some of them refers to the Jews. Those religious folks Paul was associated with. So some of them, when Paul explained the gospel for three Sabbath days, three Saturdays, some of the Jews responded. And then it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, catch this, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks. So the God-fearing Greeks, as well as, A number of leading women these were the Gentile converts so not only is there Jewish converts but there's Gentile converts you know Paul's method of operation was to enter the synagogue and he would teach okay and most often he would get rejected some would follow some wouldn't so when Paul many times was rejected uh, by the Jews he would go to the marketplace We see all through Acts that Paul goes to the marketplace and he tells people about Messiah, tells people about Jesus. So Paul was an all walks of life person. And this final group, this last last group that was in association with Paul, it says, but the Jews became jealous. You see, this last group are the Jews that opposed the gospel. This last group of the uh, Jews that were against what Paul was teaching and tried to refute the message that Paul was teaching. So get the picture. Paul's associations, Barnabas, Silas, possibly Luke, possibly Timothy, with religious folks, with Jewish converts, with Gentile converts, people in the marketplace, and those that were against him. So what can we see in that? Paul was guilty. He was guilty by association. Paul was guilty of having a passion, a purpose, a mission for the gospel. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Once again, Paul had a calling on his life to teach the gospel that Jesus was Messiah who died for sins and was resurrected from the dead. That was Paul's passion. That was his purpose to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's why he went in the synagogues first. You see, Paul, Paul's steps, all of Paul's next steps involved associations with people from all walks of life. He didn't exclude anyone. From the Pharisees and the religious folks and the common people that were Jewish, to the Gentiles, to people in the marketplace, to people that he mentored and walked with. All of Paul's associations involved people from all walks of life. So Paul's focus and his love for the gospel centered on one person. That one person was Jesus Christ. So let's look at verse Let's look at verse 3. The end of verse 2, it says, Paul went in the synagogue, and on three days, he, he reasoned from the Scriptures. He used the Old Testament, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is Messiah. So we looked at Paul's associations. Now let's look at Jesus's. Let's look at Jesus' associations. One of the first things that comes to mind to all of us is disciples. But not just 12, 70. We see in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus had as many as 70 disciples that he taught and he invested in. We also see in all the Gospels that Jesus identified 12 disciples that would eventually be called apostles to start the first century church. But we also see one other thing. We see in in Matthew chapter 17, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, he took Peter, James, and John with him to get a little glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus invested into not just 70, not just 12, but also 3. There was also a one-on-one discipleship relationship that Jesus had. We see this in John chapter 21. The apostle John was known as the one that Jesus loved. You see, John, Jesus invested into John and mentored and taught him just a little more than the other disciples. There was some jealousy there. And uh, one of the things that Jesus told Peter, he said, hey... Peter, you worry about Peter, and let me worry about John. And here's what we know about the apostle John. History and tradition tells us that he was the only apostle to die of natural causes on the Isle of Patmos. So Jesus' associates were disciples. Jesus' associates were religious people. Maybe that's where Paul took his cue from. Jesus would go into synagogues. And he would teach. As a matter of fact, when he was in in Nazareth, when he announced his ministry in in Luke Luke chapter 4, Jesus walked in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he was handed a scroll. And Jesus turned the scroll to Isaiah 61, and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says he took the scroll, he rolled it back up, and gave it to the attendant, and he sat down. And then Jesus made this statement, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So Jesus, in the middle of religious people, announced his ministry to them and to the world. So Jesus' associations were also religious people. Jesus' associations were with the crowd. In Matthew, we see that in Matthew. Matthew records over 20 times that a crowd was following Jesus or that a crowd was with Jesus. And three different times in Matthew, It's recorded that Jesus looked at the crowd, and he had compassion on the crowd because, he said this, because they are like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost, and he had compassion on them. So, not only did Jesus have associations with disciples, and he had associations with religious people and with the crowd, but in that crowd, he had associations with sinners and tax collectors. You know, the Pharisees, over nine times in the gospel, the Pharisees identified this. They would ask the disciples, Why is your teacher eating with sinners and tax collectors? Well, Jesus hung out with them. Why is tax collectors a big deal? Tax collectors were Jewish people. Who worked for the Roman government. They were traitors. They would ask why is, Je- why is your teacher eating with sinners and tax collectors. He just didn't eat with them. He went to parties with them. He had banquets with them. Jesus hung out. He made the religious people ask why is he doing that. And finally. Who else were Jesus' associates. Other races. <laughs> we, see in, we see in John chapter 4. Where Jesus revealed himself, administered to a Samaritan woman. So Jesus was guilty. He was guilty of hanging out with people from all walks of life for the purpose of serving them. Jesus was guilty of hanging out with people from all walks of life for the purpose of serving them. Next slide, please. And here's the word. It's kind of a cue for serving them. Jesus said this. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus came to serve, Not to be served. And you know when it says to give his life as a ransom for many? You know who the many are? It's us. It's people in these rooms. We are the many. It's people outside the walls of all of our buildings. The many is everybody. Jesus served them by dying on the cross. So we've looked at Jesus' associations. We've looked at Paul's associations. And both of their associations were from all walks of life. So we got one more person. And let's look at that person. Let's look at Jason. I love those looks when I say that. Who's Jason? You know, I met Jason about eight weeks ago when I was reading through and studying through the the book of Acts. And when I came face-to-face with Jason, I realized, hey, this guy's got something that we need. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read verse 5 through 9. I'm going to try to read this all the way through. And this will be our introduction to who is Jason. But the Jews became jealous. And they brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace. Now, I just like to say that word, scoundrels. They brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Man, there's anarchy. There's confusion. There's craziness in Thessalonica. Why? Why? They were attacking Jason's house. And they searched for them. You know who them is? That's Paul. That's Silas. Timothy. Maybe Luke. They searched for them to bring them out to a public assembly. But when they could not find them, they dragged Jason out. And some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That's cool. How would you like to be known as those people that turn the world upside down? These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has received them as guests. And they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another King Jesus. And the Jews stirred up the crowd. And the city officials who heard these things... So taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. So who's Jason? Well, let's just rewind just a second. When the Jews formed this mob, they were after Paul and his team who had, in the jealous Jews' words, turned the world upside down and they were searching for this team this is when they did not find them so that takes us to another question where's paul where's his team there's a couple of answers speculations maybe we can read some inference in this and uh, a little later Uh, paul and his team may have been hiding okay Paul may have taken the initiative to hide his team to protect them. Because in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas had just spent an awful time in jail or miraculously released. But he knew the price of following Jesus. He knew what a mob could do. Maybe Paul was hiding to protect his team. So let's look at Jason. Jason's associations. In verse 6 and in verse 7, it says, These men and they. So that's Paul. That's Silas. Probably Timothy. Probably Luke. That's who these men and they are. There's another group here. It says that that the brothers, in verse 6, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials. Now, let me stop here. It's interesting that Paul used that term brothers. Excuse me. It's interesting that Luke used that term brothers because brothers is a term referred to to other believers, other Christ followers. So these were other Christ followers and or believers that had just responded to the gospel or that had been... Christ fo- or that are Christ followers and that are in Jason's house. So those are Jason's associates, this ministry team as well as the brothers. And they said, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here too, and Jason has received them as guests. You know what Jason was guilty of? Jason was guilty by association. He was guilty because he was or has housed this ministry team. He was guilty by who he, hang out with, who he hung out with. Jason was guilty for being a host to Christ's followers. Jason opened up his home and he became a host to these Christ followers. Now, the accusation of the jealous Jews were this. These men have turned the world upside down and have come here too. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying, there's another king, Jesus. So here's what this looks like. If a Roman official or a Roman soldier came to a Jewish person in this region and they said, who is king, the Jewish person would say Caesar's king because he had to say Jesus is king. But when these men that turned the world upside down were revealing that Jesus is the Messiah through Scripture and that there's another king besides Jesus, Man, when these Roman soldiers would ask a Christ follower, who's king? Well, they had a dilemma. If they said, Jesus is king, possibly they could be brought before the city council, the city judges, just like Jason was. If they said, Caesar is king, they would be recounting or denying the faith. So this group of Christ followers... They were bold and they were acting on who they knew as king. And they would say, Jesus is king. That's why they were accused of turning the world upside down. So what's the security bond? Well, many Bible historians and theologians believe this. That this city council, this group of of city judges, similar to a city council, uh, told Jason this. Hey, you know what? We're going to charge you. You're going to have to put cash up. You're going to have to put money up as a bond. And you're going to have to make a promise. This promise is that Paul is going to leave this town, Thessalonica, and he's never, ever going to come back. So Jason, it says, put up this security bond and the men were released. Now, that kind of makes sense because Paul, Paul never made it back to Thessalonica. His letters did. His letters made it back to the church. But here's the thing. In one of his letters, Paul wrote, I desire to come to you, but the devil has stopped me. So Paul had to follow the rules to kind of protect Jason in this thing. But Jason was willing to put up something to be free, and to give Paul an opportunity to leave town. So what do we do? So that takes us to a couple of questions. What do we do with Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10? How can we apply this into our lives right now? First question is this. What am I guilty of because of my associations? That's a, question, that's a question we have to ask. Personally, what, what are your associations? Your family, your employees, your colleagues, your, your colleagues at work, the folks at the rec department, people that you hang out with in a civic organization or recreational, those are all your associations. So what am I? What am I guilty of because of my associations? Jason was guilty because he was hung out with. He was declared guilty. Let's go to question number two: Is there enough evidence to convict me for being associated with Christ? You see, there was enough evidence to convict Paul, So when they were searching for him, these men have turned the world upside down. There was enough evidence to convict Jason. Jason seems just like a minor character. And he is, if you look at at it literarily. But he's not. He's a major player in the growth of the church at Thessalonica. He's a major player in preserving Paul because he was declared guilty. So what? Is there enough evidence to convict me? for being associated with Christ. So what does that mean? So what does, what does, what exposes our guilt in following Christ? Okay? What exposes our guilt? Our associations. We've talked about that the whole morning. Our actions, our words, our attitude, all those things expose our guilt. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here in in one of our campuses and, And you're thinking, man, you know what? There's not enough evidence that would convict me of being a Christ follower. And if that went through your mind, that's awesome. Because you're exactly where God wants you to be. You're at the right place. So here's how this works. There are next steps. If you want to kind of take next steps toward Jesus, every step you take by faith... Every step adds evidence to you being convicted or guilty of being a Christ follower. So here's what it looks like. Man, if you just give it, if you, you can give Jesus your life today. Say, Jesus, I surrender. I want to follow you. You can mark that on your next step card. Here's our, these are the pathways. These are the pathways to get evidence in your life. If you become a Christ follower and you haven't been baptized since you've become a Christ follower, baptism is your next step. And all of our campuses next weekend, we're having baptism. Maybe small groups is your next step. You want to talk about associations? We associate with each other. We build relationships in small groups, and we do life together. The same way with serving teams. Man, every time you serve, every time you serve here at Rockbridge... Man, you're modeling Christ. You're modeling him because Jesus came to serve and he modeled that for us. You can get on a serving team and build relations and associations. and associates you with Christ. You know what else you can do? You can come to our membership commitment dinner. You see, in all of our campuses over the next couple of four to six weeks, we have a membership commitment dinner. And membership, commitment, you know what that is? When a person becomes a member, those are people that we can count on. Those are owners. Those are partners. You associate with a church, with a body of believers that's on mission for Christ to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. Here's the thing. Every week, we have people in our campuses to just check the box off because they have come to church. Membership changed that. For many folks, it may be time to quit spectating and get the game. It may be time to take that step of faith and be associated with a group of believers that... Our purpose is the same as that with Paul. We want to turn the world upside down because of Jesus and what he's done in us because we love God, love others, and live sin. It's not about joining church church, it's about getting in the game. Maybe that's your next step. So if I'm sitting there and we've went through this passage The question in my mind is this, because we got to finish this. What happened to Paul? What happened to this team? In verse 10, it says, as soon as it was night. So that just kind of paints the picture that Paul and the team are hiding or they're being hid. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, what did they do? They went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. You know what they did? Paul continued to be guilty of following Jesus. He continued to follow Jesus no matter what. There was enough evidence and there is enough evidence to convict him and his team of being a Christ follower. So how about you? Is there enough evidence to convict me for being associated with Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this scripture that we could just open up And God, you can teach us through your word. God, thank you for showing us a guy that was a host, a host to a missionary team. Thank you for showing us a person that that, that may be insignificant in this culture, but God, he took a chance. And he housed some missionaries. And this exposed Jason's guilt of being a follower of Christ. In just these next two seconds, I'm going to read this question again. And I just want you to reflect on it. Is there enough evidence to convict me for being associated with Christ? Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you now in the name of Jesus to continue showing people their next steps. Father, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you in the name of Jesus that people will take next steps by faith to you and towards you. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me once again?